You're listening to a North Valley Community Church podcast. For more information and resources, visit us online at northvalleychurch.org. Well, good morning. Uh, Great to be with you guys. We are continuing on in our message series today, and we are looking at the passage in Ephesians chapter 6, verses 13 through 20. It's about taking up the whole armor of God. And we're going to just jump right in this morning. The scripture says, Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand firm. There's this warlike analogy uh, for a soldier. The Apostle Paul would have been chained to a Roman soldier perhaps six hours a day. He's imprisoned in Rome. He's writing to the church in Ephesus, and he's talking about the spiritual battle that you and I face as Christians behind the scenes. It's the, it's the unseen realm in which uh, so much of our uh, spiritual life happens, and we don't even see it. The Apostle Paul tells us to stand strong, to withstand continually and consistently. He's giving this imagery that we're to fight this fight, but he doesn't say run. He doesn't say uh, 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 take off. He says stand there. And you might wonder, why does he say that? Let me pause for just a moment and try to illustrate this. You need to know biblically and theologically that the Christian war has already been won. And you say, what do you mean? I thought we were talking about waging war against uh, spiritual forces of darkness. We are. But in Revelation chapter 20, the Bible says is that uh, Jesus defeats Satan, throws him into the lake of fire, and uh, his fate is already sealed. In other words, the devil is on death row. His time is coming. Uh, He knows what's going to happen. His clock is ticking. He's awaiting his death. Or in a football analogy, imagine you're on an incredible football team. It's the fourth quarter, and you guys are winning uh, 72 to zero. And the clock is just going to run out. At that point in the game, you do nothing but just stand there on the field, try not to get hurt, but the game's already been won. Um, In the Christian life, it's much the same way. Christians are given every single spiritual blessing, and our call is to stand strong, to withstand uh, the attacks and the schemes of the enemy. As a Christian, we are rich in victory. Uh, Imagine if you were uh, the son of a multi-billionaire, you would imagine you have everything you need. Um, or if you're the daughter of a billionaire, you have everything you need. You wouldn't be seen out on the street begging for a dime. Uh, No, because you have everything you need. In the Christian life, we're called to fight the fight, but the Apostle Paul, in a sense, just says, just keep standing. You don't have to run. You don't have to uh, learn some ninja moves. You just need to stand your ground and claim the victory that you have through Jesus Christ. So it's with that context we jump into what's called the weapons of war or the armor of God. In verse 14, it says, Stand therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth and having put on the breastplate of righteousness, and as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith, 
uh, with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one and take the helmet of salvation, the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. Verse 18, and praying at all times in the Spirit with all prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints. And also for me, and, and words may be given to me in opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel for which I am, am an ambassador in chains that I may declare it boldly as I ought to speak. The Apostle Paul has a level of transparency and vulnerability in the Christian life. He's not praying for a, a, an open door in prison. He's praying that he, that he might open his mouth. He knows that the the victory is his in Christ Jesus. He sees the opportunities that he has, and he's writing to this church that he loves so much, the church in Ephesus, to encourage them to win the war, the spiritual battle that they're in. And so today what we're going to do is we're going to look at these weapons of war. The first is found in, in the very beginning of the verse 14. It's about truth and righteousness. The scripture says, stand therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth and having put on the breastplate of righteousness. Um, you've got to understand this, this belt of truth would have been a belt that would have been used uh, for Roman soldiers. Uh, they would have worn uh, what we would think of as togas or long uh, uh, flowing shirts that would cover their midsection. And they would wrap themselves up and put on a belt to kind of hold everything together. But also for the Roman soldier, this is where the, the, the short, uh, about a 10 to 12 inch uh, sword would go into their side. Everything would be fastened right around here so they could have quick access in it. The Apostle Paul is going to describe a Roman soldier's attire, uh, perhaps because he's sitting there all day long looking at a Roman soldier whom he's chained to uh, there in Rome. And this would have made a strong analogy for the Christian fight. He talks about this belt of truth. In recent times, uh, thinkers have suggested that truth is subjective, relative, or pluralistic. In other words, it's whatever you think, whatever you make of it. If it's true for you, it's true. Uh, and from a biblical theological perspective, that's not at all the concept the Apostle Paul's talking about. He's saying that we need to have everything wrapped up, strengthened, and secured in truth. This is perhaps better to be understood as doctrinal truth, major truths of who Jesus is, our assurance of our salvation, uh, the Trinity, God the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, the assurance of our salvation, that we can have uh, salvation through Jesus Christ, uh, the, 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 the world of sin that we live in, realizing that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. The Apostle Paul says the Christians got to have truth. Uh, wrapped around them like a, a belt. Truth is factual to the Christian, should be. It is a spiritual reality and it's rooted in who God is. Um, you need to realize that G God, our Father, is the Father of truth. Satan is the Father of lies. And these two fathers have been fighting for thousands and thousands of years over two different kingdoms. One, the kingdom of God, and other, the kingdom of Satan. Like I said, the battle has won, but there's a, ba uh, a battle that is happening presently over who gets the most glory. 
God's intent is, is to have all the glory that all of His creation would worship, know, follow Him. And in doing that, they feel the best, they live the best, and they're giving God glory. They're living by their divine design. The enemy's intent is to uh, counterfeit truth with lies that look like truth and to win as many people as possible back to following Him to build the kingdom of darkness. And so this battle for truth is continual and constant. Uh, Jesus said that he was the truth. Uh, Jesus says, I am the truth. I am the way. I am the life. Jesus also said that the devil is the father of lies. Um, So you need to understand that, that this truth is essential in the spiritual war. Jesus used it in in when he was fighting uh, his temptation in the desert. Uh, He fought the devil. It says three different times that he quoted scripture to combat the demonic attacks in Matthew chapter 4, verses 1 through 11. It, you need to understand that truth is an essential component in your spiritual life. When you begin to re, be uh, questioning truth uh, about your salvation or the Christian faith or major doctrines such as the resurrection, you need to understand God will engage your doubt but the, Satan's attempt is to have you disengage uh, in completely from the Christian faith and give up. This belt of truth is something we've got to hold on to, constantly saturate and wrap our minds around it. That's why we should be singing truth when we come to church and worship. This is why we should be reading truth and studying the Bible. This is why we should uh, hear truth from other godly teachers and preachers. And then that we should seek to memorize truth so that when we come up against a situation or circumstance, truth is on our minds. The scripture says that we should meditate day and night on the word of God, and then we will be prosperous and successful. Uh, Jesus talked about the importance of constantly being in the truth. And this is something that we have to do as Christians. Then he says this righteousness, a breastplate of righteousness. What does that mean? That, that would have been a, a, some kind of a armor protective element to protect uh, the, from the enemy's attacks of arrows, swords, spears, or whatnot. But this breastplate of righteousness protects something. One of the most vital organs in your torso is your heart. And the Bible talks about as the heart is the wellspring of life. As a Christian, you and I need to guard our heart as according to the Proverbs. And there's a key concept that we need to guard. It's our righteousness. And the reality is, is that there's a unique Christian truth for the Christian. We are to wear the breastplate of righteousness. It means two things. One is, is that we have a positional righteousness, meaning you and I have been declared righteous before God. It's justification. It's a legal act in which God has done and said, you are made right uh, with me through Jesus Christ. And the devil comes in like a prosecuting attorney to uh, try to prosecute and accuse you and have you experience condemnation. You and I are called to protect this righteousness that we have. We have a positional standing with God through Jesus Christ. We've been declared right, and we're called, therefore, not only positionally to stand in that righteousness, but to actively live out that righteousness. And here's what we got to understand in this righteousness, these two kinds of righteousness, a positional righteousness, as the scripture tells us, 
that he, uh, uh, he who had no sin took our sin and became for us and gives us a righteousness. The theologians in, in centuries past have called it imputed righteousness. It means something that is given to you. Most of us Christians understand the concept of forgiveness. Our debts are canceled out, but we fail to understand the positive side that we've been credited righteousness. You and I possess an alien righteousness as the uh, church reformer Martin Luther called it. It's not from inside of us, it's from outside. It's from Christ working in us to give us a righteousness. And we're to protect that righteousness. We've got to guard our hearts as you've heard before. And the reality is, is there are these arrows, what I would call of accusation. And what they do is they come in the form to attack the righteousness that God has given us through Jesus Christ as an arrow to the heart to disable us and maim us so that we disengage from the battle. What do these arrows of accusation sound like? They sound, they come in the form of condemnation. And if you are a Christian who is not steeped in singing, memorizing, studying truth, then you have absolute confusion on what conviction sounds like versus condemnation. The Holy Spirit convicts, the devil condemns. The Bible says is there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. You and I have to protect ourselves uh, with the breastplate of righteousness against the arrows of accusation. What do those sound like? They sound like condemnation is intended to cripple you. Conviction is intended to bring about change. Condemnation says, I can't, I never will be able to. Conviction says, I can, but only through Jesus Christ. Condemnation leads you to disbelief. Conviction leads you to believe. Condemnation says that you're hopeless. Conviction says, I'm hopeful because of Jesus. Condemnation says, I could never change. Conviction says, I can change through the power of Christ. Condemnation says, it's, it's been too long. I'm too far gone. Conviction says, it's never too late. Condemnation says, I, I, you should give up. Conviction says, don't ever give up because I've never given up on you. You've got to realize as a Christian, when you put on that belt of truth, Every day you cinch that thing on and you stand secure and strong and you're able to withstand. You put on that breastplate of righteousness and you protect yourself from the arrows of accusation against your soul, which disable, discourage, and disengage so many Christians today. That breastplate of righteousness is essential. And it's no accident the Apostle Paul would use the word righteousness with breastplate and think about it. It's the heart that you and I have to protect. We've got to guard our hearts from these arrows of accusation that come into our, our mind. The Christian life is not simply a playground. It's a battleground. And so much of that battle goes on in the unseen realm. It's not only there that the Apostle Paul uh, uh, takes us, but he takes us further in understanding. He says that secondly, the second weapon of war is this gospel of peace. It's uh, in the additional verse we see, it says, and shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. The question is, is do you have peace in your life? Um, uh, the more peace you have in your life is perhaps uh, an indication that you are preparing yourself continually and constantly for the trouble that you face. 
Jesus said, in this world, you're going to have trouble, but peace I give to you, peace I leave with you, and that he will never depart from us. In a time of a pandemic where anxiety is on the rise for everybody and so much uncertainty, we need a gospel of peace. In times when there's social and racial unrest and political unrest, we need a gospel of peace as Christians. And this is something we're to lace up and to live it out day in and day out as a Christian. This gospel of peace is described as footwear. And you may think, uh, what in the world uh, would shoes have to do with a battle? Well, you need to know wars and times past have been won or lost based on footwear. In the, during the times of the Civil War, uh, some of the armies had enough footwear, some of them did not. Footwear has always been an essential piece of equipment for our, our, our military, our soldiers in, in times past. During Civil War, like I said, battles have been won or lost based on footwear. During World War I, we came out with the trench boot that became an essential piece of equipment for the American soldier. World War II, it was the combat boot. and Vietnam, it was the jungle boot. And as our wars have moved over to the Middle East, it's become the desert combat boots. And the reality is, in war, you need to be able to stand on the terrain and withstand the fights and the terrain and the topography that you're going to go up against. The reality is, is a Christian life is the best life, but it doesn't mean it's an easy life. Oftentimes, it's very difficult. And this gospel of peace is something that we need to strengthen into. Next week, I'm going to talk more about uh, what that peace looks like as the Apostle Paul closes out his letter to the church in Ephesus. But in short and sweet, you need to know, first and foremost, that peace, according to the Apostle in Ephesians, said that was already made for us. It was made for every believer, despite their ethnicity, their economic situation, uh, their education, all of that has been made for us as believers through the person and the work of Jesus Christ on the cross. That cross is a symbol of peace. That we're, at not, we're not at war with God, we're at favor with God. We have a positional peace through Jesus Christ. And the challenge is, is will you and I herald that peace that is available through the person and the work of Jesus Christ? And will we practically live that out? It's already ours in Christ Jesus. The question is, is will you and I live that out? We've got to lace up and live out this gospel of peace. We can have peace through Jesus Christ. We can have peace with uh, other individuals. The Apostle Paul later said in the church in Rome, he said, uh, if, if at all possible, uh, make peace as far as it depends on you with all people. Uh, as far as it depends on you, do everything you can to work towards peace. The encouragement of the Apostle Paul is, is tells us that we have to maintain what God has already created. He's already created this peace. You and I just need to access that as a soldier of, of Christ. The third thing that we see in this weapon of war is the shield of faith. The scripture tells us this, in all circumstances... That means every situation, every challenge you find yourself in, you hold up, you take up this shield of faith, which can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one. 
This idea of a, 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 a shield of faith uh, would have been a, uh, uh, made out of bronze. Uh, some were made out of wood. Um, some had interlocking mechanisms where you could lock them together. I can think of uh, perhaps maybe this movie you have seen in years past, but in the movie of Gladiator. In the movie Gladiator, there's a scene where Maximus, the main character, and his fellow gladiators are in the Roman Colosseum waiting for this, the gates to open for some unknown enemy to rush out and unleash brutality and fury. And encircling these gladiators and Maximus is a bloodthirsty crowd and the emperor uh, waiting for their death. And Maximus says this phrase. He says to his men, he says, wait, whatever comes out of these gates, we've got a better chance of survival if we work together. If we stay together, we survive. If we come together, we'll live. Lock your shields, stay as one. In that scene, you see these soldiers beginning to lock their shields and creating what's been known as a shield wall. It's where you can interlock your shields together in a battle so arrows cannot come in and take out your fellow soldiers. And you stand stronger together than you do alone. That's a perfect analogy for the Christian life is that we need to have shield bearers shield men and shield maidens to be able to help us in the spiritual battle. The Apostle Paul calls us to take up this shield of faith. And you say, what are we protecting ourselves against? The scripture tells us that there are flaming darts of the evil one. These are much like the arrows of accusation, but smaller and more nimble. These darts uh, in, in uh, the first century oftentimes were dipped into some kind of flammable substance in shot in order to pierce through uh, different body parts to maim and, and disable and ultimately destroy their enemy. And the reality is, is that we have got to protect one another with this shield wall as Christians from the darts of the devil. Darts of the devil come in many forms, but uh, I'll list off just a few. I think of the dart of doubt. When you start asking yourself, God, do you really care? You can trust and you can imagine that the dart of the devil has hit you. When you begin to doubt God's character, his nature, his faithfulness, you need to hold up that shield of faith. Or the dart of despair. When Satan says, you're losing the battle, you might as well go ahead and end. Stop wasting your time and everyone else's time. That's the dart of despair or the dart of delay. When you say to yourself, God, you're not answering my prayers. Where are you? Are you against me? I, I don't hardly ever see you respond to my request. What's going on? The dart of delay has pierced your soul. Or there's the dart of difficulty when you begin to ask yourself, God, why are you so hard on me? Do you not love me? The biblical Christian worldview saturated in truth, that belt of truth would tell you Jesus didn't lie to you. He told you that the world's going to have trouble. And he told you as well, the apostle Paul says, you need to suffer with Jesus like a good soldier. Nothing about the Christian life is told by God or any of the apostles or Jesus that the Christian life or a life as a believer is supposed to be like the playground. It's absolutely the opposite. It is a battleground, but it is in an 
an incredible journey and adventure on the winning team. And that's the team you and I want to be on. This, this dart of difficulty comes in complaining and grumbling and constantly being frustrated and being not at peace and, it, and, it's, uh, and it's letting down our guard and letting go of that shield of faith. And then there's the dart of disunity. When Satan whispers into your ear and says to you, it says, hey, you and him have nothing in common. Go ahead and cut your losses. Forget about him. Don't think about them. Think about you. Now, it doesn't always come that clear, but it comes more subtle, where your mind is constantly and continually preoccupied with self and not others. See, every, every person on the planet struggles with what sociologists have called is ethnocentrism. It means that you view the whole world through your ethnicity. You view the whole world through your lens and your worldview. And as a Christian, we're called to live with a different worldview. Jesus said and talked about that we are supposed to live together as one. The Apostle Paul said that we have already been given this peace. We need to be eager to maintain it and live together as one. The reality is, is that the devil shoots these darts of disunity. They fracture our our family. They fracture our, our faith communities. They fracture our cities. They fracture our country. And so there is a fight behind the fight in every tension, war, battle, uh, crime that you see, violation that you see about, from, about principalities of darkness to principalities of righteousness. And as a Christian, we've got to hold up this shield of faith. Additionally, we need to realize that this shield of faith is not where we stop, but we also have to use the weapon I would call it of the mind in the word of God. And you say, I didn't think there was a weapon uh, called the mind. Well, I think that's what the Apostle Paul was getting at when he talks about this helmet of salvation. These helmets would have been created in such a way they would have been bronze. They would have had long uh, chin guards uh, uh, and side guards to protect your temples and uh, to be able to, if a sword came your way, but what is it protecting? It's protecting the mind, the brain. Uh, I believe perhaps the greatest asset for all of Christendom for all times past is the mind. The mind is, is, the, is the, 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 what makes us unique among every other creature. Um, we are made in the image of God with uh, intellect and morals. And, and this mind is what must be protected. Much of the spiritual battle um, that we face is right here. And the reality is, is that the scripture tells us that we're to take this helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. In Ephesians 4, 23, the apostle Paul says, be renewed in the spirit of your mind. And you think, what in the world does that mean? Do I have spirits in my mind? It means that in our mind, we need renewal because we have mindsets. We get fixed, focused, uh, fi uh, looking at a situation a certain way, and it's called a mind bent. 
And what we need is to have a renewal of the mind. The Apostle Paul talked about this as well in about the Christian life. He says, uh, do not uh, offer yourselves as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to him. Do not be conformed by the patterns of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. When the Apostle Paul talks about the uh, spiritual battle, he mentions this helmet of salvation. The mind is a battleground. Whatever's going on in your mind at night oftentimes will play itself out, rob you of sleep, rob you of peace, lead you to prayer, or lead you away from God into despair. And the reality is, is that you and I have to wage war in our own minds. Research says is that we have 50 to 70,000 thoughts per day, which means, that's a lot of thoughts, that we have 35 to 48 per minute. What's staggering to me is that some research indicates that 80% of those thoughts that we have are negative. And what's alarming to me in that is the Christian life is by far positive. No matter what trouble you face, no matter what adversity that you come against, you've got to understand life on earth is just a blip on the radar compared to eternity. Bible says is that we've been given every spiritual blessing in Christ, that we've already been given peace. So when we don't have peace, it's our problem and that we can work towards this. Question is, is what's going on in your thought life? The thought life is the interior life. It's the uh, immaterial side of who you are spiritually as well. And it's so much of that is hard to tell what people are thinking. Um, I can see if somebody's sick and they look sick or uh, if they've hurt themselves on their arm or their foot. But when it comes to the mind, it's very difficult. Paul Paul says we need to protect that, the helmet of salvation. Uh, This is why he also says, be renewed in your mind. There's something good about the mind, but there's something bad that happens into it. So what happens? Um, It's interesting to me is that uh, we, in a sense, have created a spiritual prisoners of war in the mind. And what that means is, is that if we are going to take that research and say 80% of the mind's thoughts, 50 to 70,000, 80% of those in a given day are negative, then that's a lot of negative thinking that's discrediting perhaps the promises and the plan of God in your life. Uh, If we could push back on that trend and think only 20 to 20% of those negative thoughts, perhaps we'd be living in greater spiritual victory. And what happens is, is when we, uh, we, we give in to all those thoughts and the enemy is behind that, remember there's a fight behind the fight. And we are to put on this helmet of salvation. Neurologically speaking, what you're doing is what you are creating is neurological pathways for patterns of thinking. This is why somebody, they call it a mindset. Um, have you ever met somebody before that is, you seem to think they are eternally pessimistic? It doesn't matter how good things are going. Their mindset has been distorted so bad that they can just think negative, wrong things. They perhaps have been hit so many times by the darts of the devil, the arrows of accusation, not put on the helmet of salvation, not held up that shield of faith, and they're giving in. Neurologically speaking, it's creating a pathway to what I would call a a, a war camp. Where, where you begin to, every time you process new information, you go down this pathway. If you've ever been in the backcountry before, you can see in the backcountry there's little trail systems. And over time, those trail systems can get really big and worn out to where it looks like you have a road. 
Reality is, is when you give in on a, a medical level or a neurological level over and over and over and over again to a system of thinking, your mind shortcuts how you process information and sticks on that pathway and runs down it. If that is true, then you can imagine the devil will begin to bring his foot soldiers, bring his weapons and set up a larger spiritual prisoner of war camp. And that's why the enemy uh, wants to uh, uh, discourage you and defeat you. If he can get you there, you're stuck. And what you're going to have to have is a breakthrough. You're going to have to have a, a Christian uh, come in into that war camp, take you out of that war camp, and have you see you should never go back on that pathway again. This is why you see long-term addiction to things like pornography or alcoholism. There's a neurological thing going on, but let me tell you something. There's always a fight behind the fight. The body, the material body, the spiritual body, the immaterial body, they're interwoven. It's not just one or the other. Jesus, after his death, burial, and resurrection was physical, material, and he was spiritual. That is much the Christian life. That is who we are. That is how God has made us. Never downplay uh, some of the research that you read. St. Augustine said, all truth is God's truth. That means medical science, astronomy. It means economics, mathematics. All truth is God's truth. Why? Because he is truth. And everything was created by him, for him. And so you've got to understand when in this battle, your mind is the battleground. You, you've got to put on this helmet of salvation. So you might ask the question, how do I, how do I protect it? Now, I would say just three quick things is that you fill it with the word of God. Constantly filling your mind with the word of God is the answer. Secondly, you filter it. The apostle Paul said, you take every thought, what? Captive. That means you have to arrest some of those thoughts that come in like the arrows of accusation or the darts of the devil coming into your thought life. You have to filter them. You take those thoughts captive and you test it. And then lastly, you focus the mind. The Apostle Paul said uh, that we are in Colossians 3.2, we are to set our minds on heavenly things, not on earthly things. You and I need a renewal of the mind, not once at our conversion, but daily. When the Apostle Paul says, be filled with the Spirit, you as well need to be filled with the Spirit so that you have a new mindset. So if you find yourself there today, discouraged in great despair, ask for the Holy Spirit to renew your mind. Fill it with Scripture. And then lastly, we see is this importance of communication and prayer. This last weapon is perhaps one of the most powerful, and it is communication and prayer. In any battle that you face, you've got to have communication, a central uh, command station, uh, where there is uh, uh, air force and ground force uh, at your disposal to call in help for. It's interesting to me, the Apostle Paul says in verse 18, praying at all times in the spirit that shows this spiritual realm this fight behind the fight kind of thing, uh, with all prayer and supplication. Uh, it's interesting to me that we, when we look at uh, this prayer, you need to know a couple of things. First is that you communicate with the commander 
um, in heaven, in heavenly places, the scripture tells us repeatedly, in that angels come to minister. In, in the time of Jesus's life, uh, when he was uh, uh, stressed and tested in the garden of Gethsemane, he prays to his heavenly father in Luke chapter 22, verse 43 says, an angel came and strengthened him. When you and I pray, angels are coming. When you and I pray for friends, angels are sent. In Psalms 91, the scripture says is that he commands his angels concerning you. When you pray, you're communicating for heavenly power and resources, airstrikes to go on in this spiritual battle. That's why it's very important to pray and to see God's work. You think of uh, for the little things or some of the big things. Some of you are discouraged and defeated and you need prayer. You should pray and ask God for help. In the story where we read about Elijah in Kings, where we see in 1 Kings 19, he is discouraged so much so that he cries out to God and says, take my life. He's suicidal. And then what happens? God sends an angel down immediately and begins to strengthen and nurture him back. You and I need to know when we pray, we're communicating with heavenly, godly, divine alliances. And we have support that we can access. So much of the Christian life is trying to win a war by ourselves. It's like going to war with a water gun, it's not gonna work. You, you need incredible power behind your prayers. And God wants to give you that as you call out on Him. Secondly, I'd say in prayers, you need to keep alert. The scripture says, uh, to that end, keep alert with all perseverance, meaning, You've got to stay alert. When Jesus was um, in, in, in the uh, Garden of Gethsemane and he was being tempted and he knew his disciples would give in perhaps and fall asleep, he says what? Keep watch. Stay alert. He says that continually, consistently in prayer, we get this indication. You and I have to be alert. When you are awakened in the middle of the night with a bad dream, stay alert and start praying. When, when a bad thought comes across your mind, perhaps it is the voice of conviction trying to lead you somewhere to, towards good, or it is a voice of condemnation trying to take you into a prisoner of war camp. You've got to stay alert if you are going to win this war. When it comes to prayer, we're called to stay alert as a good soldier. And then thirdly, we need to realize that we can support the troops. It says that we're to make supplication for all the saints, the Apostle Paul says. And then he says, and even me, pray for me. What you need to know is that when you begin to pray, you're inviting um, support for other people. I can think of the time in Acts chapter 12 when the Apostle Peter is imprisoned for his faith. And what happens, we read? We read that the church found out about his imprisonment, began to pray for him, and an angel came and set Peter free, led him out of that prison, and then into safety and reunited with his Christian family and friends. In the same way, you and I need to realize that the enemy's attack is to take a believer, a soldier of the faith, take him as a prisoner of war into captivity, into bondage, keep them there as long as possible. And it's up to us at that point in time where we need to be praying for our friends to be liberated. 
and we have angelic power behind our prayers. So I would challenge you to do that. And then in closing, the Apostle Paul says this, and pray also for me in verse 19, that the words may be given to me in opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in chains, that I may declare it boldly as I ought to speak. My challenge to you is that you open your mouth, that you live out this faith, that you realize that we have weapons of war that we're to access. We ought to, in a time that is really tough, stand strong. We ought to, in a time like this, when the world is caving in with anxiety and stress, we need to call out from our high King of heaven for a peace that is not of this world and hold up that shield of faith and press forward. Let me pray for you. Heavenly Father, I thank you for today. The Word of God is the strength of God in in our lives. We pray that we would live it out. I pray for everybody that's watching uh, right now, Lord, that they would make a bold commitment to stand strong in tough times. Thank you that you've supplied us with everything we need in Jesus' name. Thank you for listening. To become a supporter of North Valley Community Church, give today at northvalleychurch.org.